You are listening to WTUZ Radio Podcast. Welcome to WTUZ Radio Podcast. I am your host, Rhonda. And today's topic is tobacco and the Black Indian. Uh, I got the inspiration for this particular podcast. I was literally um, running across my feed. Uh, I saw someone post a picture of a uh, indigenous Black Indian who uh, was a statue for the cigars or slash tobacco industry. And it just made me think of how unaware most of the populace are about the importance of the tobacco trade in the early American history from a colony perspective. So not only folks have forgotten that history, but also, once again, not understanding that the original faces of the tobacco industry were melanated slash black Indians. No question about it. So I kind of want to discuss the history of tobacco trade in the Americas, uh, talk about how it was, uh, was financing the colonies, and also uh, show those early statues of the melanated slash cigar black Indians. So let's get started here with a little bit of technology. Okay, so this is um, from newzella.com. This is the growth of tobacco trade in America. All right. Okay, so what I loved about this article immediately starts the first sentence talking about the first joint stock company to launch a lasting venture to the new world was the Virginia Company of London. Joint stock companies were the original companies like the corporations of today. Shares of ownership in the companies or stocks were sold to rich investors in England. The money they provided went to set up the colonies. These rich investors took on the risk that the colonies might fail and they might lose their money. The investors in the Virginia Company of London had one goal in mind, one goal in mind, gold. They hoped to repeat the success of Spaniards who found gold in South America. In 1607, 144 English men and boys established the Jamestown Colony in Virginia, named after King James I. So shout out to Nuzella for out the bat coming out talking about how the financing of the colonies took place, the Virginia Company of London. Uh, We're going to just jump over real quick and uh, give you some information on the Virginia Company of London for those of you that don't know. Um, And I also love that they said this is really recommended for middle school to high school. And isn't it a shame that we have adults that have gone their entire life not knowing this information? Okay. So shout out to them. All right. So let's jump over real quick and look at um, the Virginia Company of London. Okay, so this is from uh, NPS.gov, National Park Service. 
uh, this is the historic Jamestown, the Virginia Company of London. In the late 1580s, Sir Walter Riley attempted to plant a colony for England in present-day North Carolina. Okay, so those of you are, who live in Raleigh, Raleigh, North Carolina, you should know now who it's named after if you didn't already know. This unsuccessful and expensive settlement, often referred to as the Lost Colony, made the English crown wary of trying again. So y'all peep that, North Carolina. When they tried to set up that colony and it was it failed. It was not until 1606 that the Virginia Company of London received a charter from the newly crowned King James I. So just to refresh the family's memory, because I want us to be crystal clear, this is King James I. King James I of England and of Scotland. Let's be clear, melanated, a.k.a. black man. Parents are also melanated, a.k.a. black. And his mama is a steward. Okay? So, uh, they received the charter from King James I following the precedent set by other companies such as the Moscovoy uh, or Moscovy Company and the East Indian Company. And I should have pulled that as well. I apologize because you're going to see a lot of these uh, business ventures uh, for colonization and just business in general. You're going to see around the world, East Indian Company a lot. And in the Americas, you'll see the Virginia Company. Okay. So uh, maybe I'll come back and do a podcast on the, on the two of these companies to go through all of the quote, quote, investments that they made. All right, so uh, the East Indian Company, the Virginia Company, was a joint stock company which sold shares. All who purchased shares at a, co a cost of, is that 12 pounds? I think that's 12 pounds. 10 shares in the success or failure of the venture. So I don't know if they're seeing... Um, $12 a share or, or 12 pounds a share. The Virginia company was formed both to bring profit to its shareholders and to establish an English colony in the new world. The company under the direction of its treasurer, Sir Thomas Smith, was instructed to colonize land between the 34th and 45th first northern parallel okay so i just also want to point out to the family when you pull the original charters of these colonies they are extremely specific okay they literally lay out the parallels and all of that they lay out uh what type of business can be conducted on it who's managing it all of that type of jazz it's very very interesting because a, a charter is literally a document uh issued by the king to uh provide um not not provide give authority to do business okay even to this day charters exist for states, charters exist for counties, charters exist for cities. Go look them up. And specifically, when you look up those early first charters, 
issued by those European kings, it is absolutely fascinating. In December 1606, the Virginia Company's three ships containing 144 men and boys set sail on May 13, 1607. These first settlers selected the site of Jamestown Island as the place to build their fort. In addition to survival, the early colonists had other pressing missions to make a profit for the stockholders of the Virginia Company, although the settlers were disappointed that gold did not wash up on the beach and gems did not grow in the trees, they realized there were great potential for wealth of other kinds in their new home. Okay, so what we have to realize also in the Americas, the amount of um, metals, resources, etc. So you had the gold, you had uh, copper, you even had um, pearls, okay? And so now they're getting there, you're going to see that they're getting on the agricultural side of things. Uh, tobacco is one, of course, is, which is what this topic is. Uh, we also know that even um, cannabis was also a huge crop. And let's not forget tobacco, okay? Right? So a lot of wealth and resources coming out of the Americas that benefited the European empires. Early industries such as glass manufacturer, pitch and tar production. Oh, and I forgot about a uh, rubber, yeah. Okay, uh, off of uh, the Caribbean islands. I forgot about that also. All right, so early industries such as glass manufacturers, pitch and tar production, and beer and wine making took advantage of natural resources and the land's fertility. However, the settlers could not devote as much time as the Virginia company would have liked to their financial responsibilities. They were too busy trying to survive. Within the three-sided fort erected on the banks of the James, the settlers quickly discovered that they were first and foremost employees of the Virginia Company of London. Following instructions of the men appointed by the company to rule them. Okay. In exchange, the laborers were armed and received clothes and food from the common store. After seven years, they were to receive land of their own. These, my people, these employees were also called indentured servants who were on contracts, right? The gentlemen who provided their own armor and weapons were to be paid in land, dividend, or additional shares of stock, all right? Now, remember what we're talking about. We're talking about uh, how the Virginia Company set things up. Initially, the colonists were governed by a president and several, and, I'm sorry, and seven member councils selected by the king. Mm -hmm. Leadership problems quickly erupted in Jamestown. First two leaders copped with varying degrees of success with sickness Indian assaults, poor food and water supplies, and class strife. When Captain John Smith became Virginia's third president, so are y'all peeping game. The king appointed presidents over the Virginia Company to run the business of the colonies. The folks working on the colonies were employees 
And you'll hear, when you hear the word indentured servants, think of the word employees where they had a contract to work the lands. All right, so when Captain John Smith became Virginia's third president, so now let's remember, he reports back up to the king. He proved that the strong leader that the colony needed. Industry flourished and relations with Chief Powhatan's people improved. In 1609, the Virginia Company received its second charter which allowed the company to choose its new governor from amongst its shareholders. Are you getting the picture of how it was originally set up? And I want you to pay attention to these titles, president, governor. I want you to understand how the original structure of the colonies was set up. And how it really still reigns true today. And what is the ultimate goal of this structure? What's the ultimate goal of the president? Captain John Smith. What's his ultimate goal? Is it for the people and the land? Or is his ultimate goal to make that profit and run a smooth colony on behalf of the king who he reports to. Investments boomed as the company launched an intensive recruitment process or camp campaign. Over 600 colonists set sail for Virginia between March 1608 and March 1609. Okay, so they pretty much telling you that folks coming in through Virginia, and now hopefully you should enter and understand when you look at those census records and you see them Europeans coming through Virginia, what the deal was, okay? They were coming over here on indentured servant contracts, okay? Now, not everybody, some, you know, they said came over as prisoners in order to um, serve out their prison term. They came over to the new world to work it off, okay, for a set amount of time, okay? Unfortunately, for these new settlers, Sir Thomas Gates, mm-hmm, I know a Gates mm -hmm. that do them supposedly an alleged DNA test. Mm. But let me stay focused. Sir Thomas Gates, Virginia's deputy governor, bound for the colony, was shipwrecked in, shipwrecked in Bermuda and did not assume his new post until 1610. When he arrived, he found only a fraction of the colonists had survived the infamous starving time of 1609 to 1610. All too soon, the mother country learned of Virginia's woeful state. So child, just old boy coming from Europe, his ship was wrecked in Bermuda. So he had a rough time coming over just from Europe. So they gonna try to convince me that they brought millions of slaves over from Africa? Oh, okay then. But I shall continue. The results were, uh, was predictable. Financial catastrophe for the company. Many new subscribers reneged payment of their shares and the company became entangled in dozens of court cases. On top of these losses, the company was forced to incur further debt when it sent hundreds more colonists to Virginia. There was little to counter this crushing debt. No gold had been found in Virginia. Trading commodities produced by exploitation of the raw materials found in the New World were minimum 
minimal. Attempts at producing glass, pitch, tar, and potash have been barely profitable and regrettably, some commodities could be had far more cheaply on the other side of the Atlantic. So sounds like somebody didn't do their research. Increasingly bad publicity, political infighting, and financial woes led the Virginia company to organize a massive advertising campaign. The company plastered street corners with tempting broad streets, published persuasive articles, and even convinced the clergy to preach the virtues of supporting colonization. Boom! What? Child. Clutching my pearls. So, because the company pretty much messed up their business plan, was all the way jacked up. They did some swag, uh, um, some swag marketing and then went to the preacher man, went to the preacher man to tell the people that the Lord, the Lord told them that colonization is good. Child. Before the company was dissolved, it would publish 27 books and pamphlets promoting the Virginia venture. To make shares more marketable, the Virginia company changed its sales pitch. Baby, hopefully y'all enter an understanding where all of this business mess come from. <laughs> Instead of promising instant returns and vast profits for investors, the company exploited Patriotic sentiment and national pride. Child. A stockholder was assured that his purchase of shares would help build the might of England to make her the superpower she deserved to be. Child. Now, here we go. The heathen natives. The heathen natives. The heathen natives would be converted to the proper form of Christianity, the Church of England. Now, you indigenous people of the Americas, relabeled as African-American, Negro-colored, black. You want to run that past me again? how Christianity came in your background. We keep seeing this over and over and over in historical documents. They keep literally telling you that Christianity came to the Americas via Europe. Okay? Go look up the story of the Puritans. Okay? Because the goal was to get the heathen natives into the proper form of Christianity, the Church of England. People out of work could find employment in the New World. Okay? So that's pitching it to they people back over in Europe. The standard of living would increase across the nation. How could any good patriarch, uh, not patriotic, Englander resist? Okay, so if y'all want to know how they was trying to make the new world attractive, to folks in England, there you go. Now, let's remember the time frame. This was back up in the 1600s. Okay? And I also want you to remember when I did the podcast, and I will drop that link here as well, when I talked about what the real 1619 project was about, and I went over them surnames. This is all directly 
connected. The English rose to the bait. The gentry wished to win favor by proving his loyalty to the crown. The growing middle class also saw stock purchasing as a way to better itself. But the news was not all good. Although the population of Jamestown rose, high settler mortality kept profits unstable. By the six, by 1612, the company's debt had, <coughs> had soared, excuse me, to over, uh, I'm assuming that's 1,000 pounds. All right, let me sip some water. Child, bear with me. I know we on some, we still on the tobacco stuff, but I want you all to understand how all of this was set up out the gate. A third charter provided a short-term resolution to the Virginia company's problems. The company was permitted to run a lottery as a fundraising venture. Child, shut the front door. Honey, the lottery run all the way back to the 1600s. I should have known. Other attractive features of the charter allow Virginia's assembly to act as the colony's legislator and also added 300 leagues of oceans to the colony's holdings, which would include Bermuda as a part of Virginia. Mm -hmm. But the colony was still on shaky ground until John Rolfe's successful experiment with tobacco as a cash crop provided a way to recoup financially. Okay, uh, we're going to finish up Virginia, and then we're going to jump back on to tobacco. Unfortunately, by 1616, the Virginia company suffered further uh, adversity. The original settlers were owed their land and stock shares. Initial investors at home were owed their dividends. Now, it was payout time for the Virginia company. The company was forced to renege on its cash promises I want y'all to peep game. Instead, distributing 50-acre lots in payments. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, you started out with investments telling people, here's your cash payments. Then, you couldn't get the business profitable the way it needed to be, so you just turned around and allotted them Acres of land. Yeah. The next year, the company instituted the head right system, a way to bring more settlers to Virginia. Investors and residents were able to acquire land and paying the passage of new settlers. Now remember who this is getting all this said land in the Americas. Europeans, English. Okay? In most cases, these newcomers spent a period of time in servitude on the investor's land. Now, remember again, we in the 1600s, fam. They ain't talked about no slavery. This was all about servitude, employment contracts. Okay? All right. Sir Edwin Sandy, a leading force in the Virginia Company, strongly supported the head right system for his goal was a permanent colony which would enlarge British territory, relieve the nation's overpopulation, and expand the market for English goods. Sir Thomas Smith, as the company's treasurer, had a different dream. The Virginia Company's mission was to trade and to make a profit. So, child, 
The Americas was literally a saving grace for England. Okay? So they were sending folks over here to relieve their overpopulation problem. And I am assuming they couldn't keep people employed and fed properly and all of that jazz. And they needed revenue to prop up their own economy. So these, these new world or this new world was perfect. So they set out a marketing ca a campaign for investors, European investors, and set out a marketing campaign to get employees slash indentured servants and set up something called the head right system to get folks to come over here and work the land in the colonies. All right. In the end, it was Sandy's vision which prevailed. When he became treasurer of the company in 1619, he moved forward to populate. Okay, let me read that slow. When they talk about that 1619 project, when they talk about that 1619 project, it ain't about no slavery family. It is about the Europeans coming to the Americas, specifically the melanated, AKA black Europeans. And it is very well documented. They literally have documented the family names, where they are from. In a 1619 documentation. That's what the real 1619 project was about. So. In the end, it was Sandy's vision which prevailed. When he became treasurer of the company in 1619, he moved forward to populate the colonies and earn a protective status for the tobacco crop, which became the cash cow of Virginia. At the same time, he urged colonists to diversify their plantings and thus become less reliant only on one staple. The colonists ignored this advice to their later dismay. Okay. All right, so, you know, in dude's defense, he was a colonizer, Sandy. But at least he had good business sense. In 1621, the company was in trouble. Unpaid dividends and increased use of lotteries had made future investors wary. The company debt was now over 9,000. Worried Virginians were hardly reassured by the advice of pragmatic treasurer Sandy who warned that the company cannot wish you to rely on anything but yourself. March 1622, the company and the colony situation went from dire to disastrous when the Powhatan Indians staged an uprising which wiped out a quarter of the European population of Virginia. Dang. When a fourth char charter severely reduced, reducing the company's ability to make decisions in the governing of Virginia was proposed by the crown subscriber, uh, was proposed by the crown, subscribers rejected it. King James I forthwith changed the status of Virginia in 1624. Virginia was now a royal colony to be administered by a governor appointed by the king. All right, so my bad old boy initially wasn't appointed by the king. All right, but King James had just about had enough. The Virginia Assembly finally received royal approval in 1627, and this form of government with governor and assembly would oversee the colony of Virginia until 1776 accepting only the years of English Commonwealth. So now, just to be clear, 
those early 13 colonies were set up and ruled by King James I. So King James I of England and Scotland, a black melanated man. All right. The Virginia Company of London, so far as achieving its aims as a profitable stockholding company, was a dismal failure. Despite numerous creative and desperate attempts to make Virginia stable and financially successful, the investors never achieved a profit, while the colonists suffered from factionalism and mismanagement by the administration on the other side of the Atlantic. Child. But other motives for establishing Virginia were achieved. England's territory was increased vastly and the new lands could be settled and its natural resources harvested. Spanish colonial enterprises in the new world was challenged. England's laws, language, and religion were transplanted to a new place, laying the foundation for what would become the United States of America. So just to reiterate this last part, because people get real confused on how language, religion, surnames, came on these shores. English laws, language, and religion were transplanted to a new place, laying the foundation for what would become the United States of America. Okay? All right. So I just wanted to give you all the drop on the Virginia Company of London. So let's get back to this. Okay, so the investors of the Virginia company had one goal in mind, gold. They hoped to repeat the success of Spaniards who found gold in South America. But child, they didn't do their research because gold wasn't prevalent in, the, in that part. Okay, right? So we talked about this in 1607, 144 Englishmen and boys established the Jamestown Colony in Virginia named after King James I. Searching for new ways to make money, the colonists were told that if they did not find ways of making money, financial support of their efforts would end. Many of them spent their days vainly searching for gold. Child, they didn't do the research. And I know the indigenous Indians was laughing their tail off. <laughs> seeing them out there trying to dig for some gold. And they was probably smoking on something then. <laughs> Watching them like, child, they ain't finna find no gold, but we ain't finna tell them nothing either. All right. So they started looking for uh, new ways to make money. And the company encouraged several business ventures by 1618. Okay, and we kind of, Got all of that through the Virginia Company of London thing. Um, Jamestown settlers experimenting, experimented with glass blowing, growing grapes for wine, and even silkworm farming. Child, they was into everything. <laughs> Still, by the end of the 1620s, only one Virginia crop was fetching a fair market price in England. Tobacco. Drinking smoke. Tobacco was introduced to Europe by the Spanish. Spaniards had learned to smoke it from the Native Americans. Okay, so let's be clear, because some people get confused. Some keep people get confused thinking that Spaniards are indigenous to America. They think of South America. No, boo-boo. Spain is in Europe. Okay. Despite some early criticism of drinking tobacco, I'm sorry, despite some early criticism of drinking smoke, tobacco came popular among the middle class classes in England. 
as tobacco smoking was a sign that a person was a high social class. Wealthy men indulged in tobacco at what was known as smoking club. They still had those today. Don't they have cigar clubs and stuff today? You dudes uh, still had them cigar clubs. Much of the tobacco smoke in England was grown in the West Indian, I'm sorry, in the West Indies of the Caribbean. Early English explorer, and um, I did a drop recently on um, Barbados is free, and it also talked about King James <clears throat> uh, ordering them to go on over to Barbados, cut down the trees and start planting those tobacco crops. And they brought with them over to Barbados some indentured servants to do that work. Okay? So all of it ties together, fam. Early Engler explorer Thomas Harriot, or Harriot described tobacco use in the American colonies in his 1588 publication, a brief and true report of the newfound land of Virginia. He writes, there is an herb called Upperwalk, which sows itself. In the West Indies, it has several names, but the Spaniards generally called it tobacco. Its leaves are dried, made into powder, and then smoked by being sucked through the clay pipes into the stomach and head. He went on to say its use not only preserve the body, but if there are any obstructions, it breaks them up. By this means, the natives keep in excellent health without many grievous diseases, which often afflict us in England. Okay. Not everyone liked tobacco. King James I of England was an early opponent of tobacco smoking, writing in one of his early is tobacco um, publications in 1604. Smoking is a custom loathsome to the eye, hateful to the nose, harmful to the brain, dangerous to the lung. Well, dang. So King James wasn't feeling that tobacco back up in the day. That's interesting. Tobacco becomes an important asset. English setter John Rolfe, known among his peers as an ardent smoker, thought that Virginia might be a perfect site for tobacco growth. Early attempts to sell Virginian tobacco had fallen flat. Smokers, smokers felt the tobacco of the Caribbeans was much less harsh than Virginia tobacco. Now, that's interesting. Um, I read something where they said... Um, in the Caribbeans, how they did their tobacco, they mixed it with um, molasses. They mixed theirs with molasses. So I could kind of see that being less harsh. So that's interesting. Hmm. Roth reacted to consumer taste and imported seeds from the, from the Caribbean and cultivated the plant in the Jamestown colony. Those tobacco seeds became the seeds of a huge economic empire. Mm. By 1630, over a million and a half pounds of tobacco were being exported from Jamestown every year. The plant had become, uh, I'm sorry, the plant had quickly become the foundation of the Virginia economy. The tobacco economy quickly began to shape society as well as fuel the development of the colony. Growing tobacco takes the toil on the soil because tobacco drained the soil of its nutrients. Only about three successful growing seasons could occur on a plot of land. Then the land had to lie empty for three years before the soil could be used again. This created a huge drive for new farmland. Settlers grew tobacco in the streets of Jamestown. The yellow-leafed crop even covered cemeteries. Because tobacco cultivation is hard, more settlers were needed. So here again, 
Didn't talk about no African slaves were needed. But saying more settlers. Okay. So let's get into indentured servants. Indentured servants. Tobacco cultivation was demanding work. Indentured servants became the first way to meet this need for labor. In return for a free boat ride to Virginia, a laborer worked four to five years in the field. Then he or she was granted freedom. The crown rewarded planters with 50 acres of land for every inhabitant they brought to the new world. Okay, so we saw where they talked about that and the, uh, the Virginia Company of London's uh, get up also. Okay. Okay. Keeping indentured servants and slaves was difficult for landowners. Servants and slaves often ran away from abusive masters. Other servants were lured away from neighboring attempts to steal labor. Okay, so notice how they uh, start throwing in here servants and slaves, but I'm just we're just going to keep going with it, okay? Other servants were lured away from neighboring attempts to steal labor. In response to these problems, Virginia lawmakers passed laws that established penalties and regulated the movement of servants and slaves. In March 1642, Virginia lawmakers passed a law on runaway slaves that read, Whereas there are divers, loitering runaways in the colony who often absent themselves from their master's service and sometimes in two or three months cannot be found, whereby their said masters are a great charge in finding them. And many times even the loss of their year's labor before they be had be it therefore enacted and confirmed that all runaways shall be absent themselves from their said master's service shall be liable to make satisfaction by service at the end of their time of indentured double the time of service so neglected. Well, Dag, so any any event, if you run away, whatever uh, contract you was uh, under in the first place, they going to straight du uh, double your time, okay? So again, those were indentured in, uh, servants. Now, they throw slaves up in there. I'm not sure on what capacity they're talking about. If those slaves were um, African slaves, which very little were brought over, or if they were indigenous Indian slaves that were captured or prisoners of war, or if they were slaves because they came over on a prison sentence, okay? All right. And in some cases more, if the commissioners for the place appointed shall find its requisite and convenient. And if such runaways shall be found to transgress the second time or oftener, if it shall be duly proved against them, that then they shall be branded in the cheek Day with the letter R, child, and pass under the statue of incorrigible rogues. Keeping the indentured servant laborers in line with law ensured that the colony of Jamestown would expand. That expansion would soon challenge was soon challenged by Native American confederacy of 30 tribes formed and named after the leader, Pohantan. Okay, so I think they did a great job with this. Um, now, again, I just want you to make note when they started talking about indentured servants and the contracts, all right? I want you to peep game on that, okay? Now, they did put slaves in there, but they were not specific. They definitely didn't say African slaves, okay? But then, so I just want you all to peep game on that, okay? So before I jump um, on the other thing, let me see what else. I just want you all 
to take a look at, want you to take a look at the uh, mascots of the tobacco industry, okay? So a lot of you are familiar with this particular uh, statue. Some say that he was the face of the cigar industry. Um, I don't know that for sure. I'm just saying what some say. So let's look at a couple of others. Just to show you all, fam. Okay, you see another one? And I'm showing you this. Showing you this, of course. Because um, they're melanated. A.K.A. black. Okay? Right? So you see dude with the tobacco pipe in his hand. Okay? to manually do this. This is um, a melanated, a.k.a. black woman, Indian, with a tray. Okay, and I think in one of the pictures, uh, they had a similar statue with the cigars on it. Okay. Okay, here is a clear marketing campaign sitting outside of the smoke shops. Okay, with an Indian, okay, and these today are actually collector's items. Actually, all of those that are showed you are collector's items. It is extremely hard to find them, okay? We're going to continue. Okay, uh, another melanated indigenous Indian, okay, with the pipe. All right. I wonder what's that rolled up under the arm. I've, I've seen that before. I don't know if that's the, uh, to, I think that's the tobacco plant now that I think about it because I've seen that a lot. Okay, so let's continue. Okay, so here you see several statues um, of melanated indigenous Indians, and they were the face of the tobacco industry. Okay, they used to sit outside the smoke shops. Okay. Again, Another melanated black indigenous Indian with the smoke pipe. Okay. Right. Again, another one. He's copper colored, copper brown with the cigar and um, I think it's the tobacco plant paper in his hand. Okay, the vanished American, another black melanated Indian, okay, sitting on, got a, I don't know what he's sitting on this barrel. I don't know if that's a tobacco crop he's sitting on or leaning up against, but he got the snuff bucket. Now, come on, y'all, come on, y'all with me from down south, who big mama and them and papa and them. Hit the snuff bucket. Come on now, don't act like I'm the only one. My grandma had the coffee can. Now come on now, don't act like I'm the only one. Where she chewed that tobacco and literally called it the snuff can. That's how I know what it is. And then he got the uh, cigarettes or some sort of cigarette box next to him. Okay, I think that may be the last picture. Oh, no. Um, this out of Miami Beach. Okay. Outside another smoke shop. Okay. Another black melanated indigenous Indian holding that tobacco. 
Okay. Okay, and then I think this is the last picture. He's more on the copper color side. Indian. Black melanated Indian. Holding out them cigars. Okay. So just giving you some examples of the face of what tobacco was. They were used as the marketing campaign. All right? And you can also you could also find some of these statues over in Europe also. I think I have a picture of one of um them uh one of these statues it was in Germany if I remember correctly. Um they had the statue of a melanated black Indian as the face of the cigar or tobacco. Okay. I'll uh, show you all the rest of the pictures at the end because I captured a lot of pictures of those black melanated Indians and just uh, also a couple of pictures just reminding you during this time who was holding the seat of power. It was black melanated kings around the world that sat on those thrones. So I'll show that at the end. I'll close that out because we're, we're almost done. <laughs> all right. So uh, this particular article, The Growth of Tobacco Trade in America, is from uh, Newzella. All right. Okay, so we're just going to do this last one because I think the rest of them are going to be um, kind of repetitive. Uh, Wikipedia will be repetitive. I always bring that up just in case I haven't made my points I think I want to make. <laughs> so this is from encyclopedia.com, tobacco history of. Um, so tobacco generally refers to the leaves and other parts of a certain South America plants that were domesticated and used by Native Americans for the alkaloid nicotine. All right. So they were saying tobacco plants are the species of uh, genius Nicotania, belonging to the Solaniski, I know I'm butchering that, nightshade family. Now, y'all, this kind of, now this just tripped me out. I ain't, I ain't gonna sit up here and tell no story because I am a gardener. So I was tripping, y'all, when it said in the family of potatoes, tomatoes, eggplant, belladonna, and petunias. Now, I ain't grown no belladonna. But petunias, yep, flowers. Eggplant, yep, show do grow it every year from seed. Tomatoes, yep, show do grow it every year from seed. Yep, show do grow it every year. Got some out back right now from spuds. That tripped me out that they were in the same family. Okay. Including plants, including plants used for tobacco, there are more, I'm sorry, including plants used for tobacco, there are 64 Nicotania species. The two widely cultivated for use as tobacco are Nicotania tobaccum and Nicotania rustica, the latter of which contains the higher level of nicotine. Okay, so just, I just thought this was interesting for those of us nerds that like stuff like that. Um, so it is saying Nicotania tobacco. So now we should know where tobacco came from, tobacco is, however, the major source of commercial tobacco, although it has been hybridized with other Nicotania species with resilient alterations in chemical composition. Uh, Nicotania tobaccum is a broadleaf plant that grows from three to 10 feet tall and produces 10 to 20 leaves radiating from a central stalk. Nicotania rustica, also known as Indian tobacco, was first cultivated by Native Americans and was probably the the tobacco offered to Columbus. 
The word tobacco comes into English in 1565 from the Spanish word tobacco, probably from the Taino word for the roll of leaves containing the inn, the rustica, that the Native Americas of the Antilles smoked. All right, so let's see how much. Um, yeah, we'll read through it. The history of tobacco use. Tobacco was introduced to Europeans by Native Americans at the time of Columbus exploration of the New World, 1492. Yeah, yada, yada, yada. The first written records of tobacco use date from this time, but there is archaeological evidence tobacco's wide use in the Americas as early as uh, 600 CE, 600 to 900. Native Americans considered tobacco as sacred, a plant used in social fertility and spiritually spiritual ritual. For example, tobacco was used for seasonal ceremonies, for sealing friendship, preparing for war, predicting good weather or good fishing, planting, courting, consulting spirits, and preparing magical cures. The desired effects of tobaccos were a trans state achieved by using the leaves in various ways, including smoking, chewing, snuffing, drinking tobacco juice or tea, licking and administering enemas. Child, the enema part tripped me out. <laughs> Acute nicotine poisoning was a central aspect of the practice of shamanism in many parts of South America. South American shaman would smoke or ingest tobacco to the point of producing a nicotine meditated trance or coma. The dose of nicotine could be titrated to produce a coma state resembling death, but from which the shaman would recover. Recovery from apparent death Enhance the perception of the shaman's magical powers. Oh, that's interesting. In 1492, Columbus encountered natives in Hispaniola smoking tobacco in the form of large cigars, enticed by the sacred and special regards in which they held tobacco. Columbus crew experimented with tobacco smoking and soon became enthusiasts. Tobacco was brought back to Europe, and within a few decades, its use spread. People smoked it in front in the form of cigar and pipe and used it as snuff or chewing tobacco. Within 40 years of Columbus' arrival, Spaniards were cultivating tobacco in the West Indies. Tobacco use became widespread in Europe, Spain, and Portugal, American colonies by the late 1500s. All right, so um, we're just going to read up to this part because the rest we went over already. In 1570, the tobacco plant had been named Nicotonia after Jean Nicot, the French ambassador to Portugal, who introduced tobacco to France for medicinal use. Tobacco was said to be useful in the, uh, in the prevention of of plagues as a cure for headache, asthma, gout, ulcer, scabies, labor pain, and even cancer. In the late 1500s, Sir Walter Riley popularized the smoking tobacco for pleasure in the court of Queen Elizabeth. From there, it spread to other parts of England. Okay, so we're not going to read the rest because we went into Jean, uh, Jean, King James. And um, how he put the colonies on in Virginia and all that jazz, et cetera, et cetera. So this is off of encyclopedia.com, okay? So family, um, that's pretty much it. That's all I wanted to cover. I just wanted to remind you all the true origins of tobacco and the Black Indians and how all of that history is forgotten, but it's extremely, extremely important because as you can see, just a few little sources that I pulled, they clearly told you how the indentured servants were brought over, what their purpose was, 
and how they started bringing many of them over and how some of them were paid in land if they were recruiting others to come over. Okay? And then we also need to understand and always follow the money. Always follow the money because this total system, colonization and even the system that is set up today, it is all about money and profit, a.k.a. business. Okay? So that's all I wanted to talk about, fam. Um, I hope you get some use out of this. All right, if you are not subscribed to us, I highly encourage you to subscribe, hit the like button, and share. I wish everyone well on this Wednesday. This is Rhonda with WTUZ Radio Podcast. We are going to rock out with, I want to show you all the pictures of those indigenous um, black melanated Indians. And then I threw in there, just as a reminder, those black melanated indigenous kings of Europe who were holding the seats of power at the time that were making the decisions about uh, setting up the colonies in the Americas. So with all of that said, family, peace and love.